Truth Espresso, episode 33. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here. Before we get into our topic, I just want to let you know about my free ebook, Jesus, God Among Us. It will strengthen your faith by explaining who Jesus is and what he did for you. Get to know him deeper today than you ever imagined. Snag your copy of my free ebook, Jesus, God Among Us, by going to truthhub.org forward slash Jesus. That's truthhub.org slash Jesus. Did the New Testament writers understand the Old Testament descriptions of God to talk about Jesus? Hi, this is Daniel Minnick, and welcome to Truth Espresso. This episode will actually be the third episode that I recorded back in 2015 for a defunct podcast that I attempted to start called the Truth Hub Podcast. I think I provided a lot of valuable research in the scriptures in this episode, so I figured I would resurrect it for Truth Espresso. So, enjoy. Well, welcome back again to the Truth Hub podcast. Uh, this is your host, Daniel Minnick, and uh, we are continuing our series on foundations. And the first foundation that we're looking at is the foundation of Christology, the, the foundation of, of the Trinity, and who is Jesus Christ. And if we remember back to our last two episodes, we were talking about uh, defining the Trinity. It, it is... Uh, God is one being and three persons. These three persons are co-equal and co-eternal, and they all share the one divine being that is God. We also looked at the foundation of monotheism, that there is only one God worthy of worship, and how this is distinguished from other forms, other religions, and also uh, Trinitarian monotheism, how this is distinguished in the aspect of worship from uh, Unitarian monotheism. I call Trinitarian monotheism biblical monotheism because, if, as we remember uh, from the last episode, we mentioned Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. Sola Scriptura is uh, that Scripture alone is our authority for uh, our rules and practice of our religion, but we also need to keep in mind Tota Scriptura, that all of Scripture is relevant. Some people uh, hold on to Sola Scriptura, and they'll look at certain verses to prove their point, but unless you keep in mind all of Scripture and that all of Scripture must harmonize, you are not... Uh, holding the Bible in its entirety as your standard for rule and practice. 
Now, I believe that when you look at all of Scripture and you harmonize all of Scripture, this forces you to a Trinitarian conclusion. No one came up with the Trinity in a vacuum, thought up the idea that God is one being and three persons, and then decided, hey, why don't I look at the Scriptures and see if it proves this position? No, no one would ever do such a thing. The the Trinity was derived from looking at all of Scripture and seeing that it forces you to that conclusion. Uh, We also looked at henotheism, a form of Unitarianism that recognizes that there is one uh, highest God worthy of the highest form of worship, whatever that is, and then that there are possibly lesser gods that exist that are worthy of some lesser form of worship. And we saw how this complicates worship and makes following the Bible and worshiping the Son difficult to determine because we see that there is a Father and a Son listed in scripture and that the son must be worshipped he said he was to be worshipped the writers of the new testament the apostles also ascribed worship to him and were supposed to honor the son even as we honor the father and in the last episode we looked at a clip of a debate where we saw how this was complicated and that um, the henotheistic unitarians who believed that jesus christ was just a man uh, they they couldn't explain very well how they could worship him as he was shown to be worshipped with the one who sat sits on the throne in Revelation chapter 5 um, in the way that it prescribed that he be worshipped. It, ve- it was very difficult to pin them down. It was like trying to nail jello to the wall. But um, I would like to mention uh, another event of of personal experience and passing here with the same issue of worship. Uh, I Some of you might know uh, that I wrote a book called Freedom to Give, the Biblical Truth About Tithing, and perhaps maybe at this point, unless you've read that book, you might uh, want to call me a heretic for how I what I wrote about, but this book basically proved from the Bible that uh, tithing was not for today, and that what is taught as tithing for today is not what the Bible teaches. But I was having uh, uh, my first book signing um, for this event, and then uh, one uh, a distant family member whose name is uh, Lester Birch, he he uh, was invited to this book signing, and he came up and. I basically spent half the book signing time debating the Trinity with him. He was in the process of writing his own book. He had questions about uh, book writing, book publishing. And then he uh, told me that one of the topics he was writing about that it was not in the Bible is the Trinity. So naturally that, that piqued my interest. And so we were uh, discussing that out. We were hashing and we were debating. And then... Um, Eventually, it came to the topic of worship, and then I asked him, uh, how do you distinguish between the worship due to a creature and the worship due to the Creator? I had mentioned 
Revelation chapter 5, the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb received the same worship from every creature that exists. And I asked him that question. He paused for a little bit, and then he tried to divert the topic away from that question, which I thought was pretty interesting, you know, because idolatry is is looked at in the Bible with disdain in the Israelites, as we saw. They were uh, cast out of their land. They were taken captive, and, and God said, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me? And so idolatry is a very serious sin, and yet we're told to worship the Son as we worship the Father. We see that happening in the Bible, but those who regard the Son of God as a lesser creator a lesser creature and he's worthy of worship but somehow we have to worship the father more than he and how do we do that we just don't know um but what i want to get into that with this podcast is um noticing how the son reflects the father and how the son uh could be what people saw when they said that they saw god in the old testament now i want to look at a few verses here that god himself or yahweh the lord tells the people of israel that no one can see him we see in exodus chapter 33 and verse 20 And he, God said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So you can't see God directly. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 19. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And then said on, they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. For they, they knew that they couldn't see God and live. They saw the glory, but they knew if they saw God directly, they would die. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 12, And the Lord, Yahweh, spoke unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but ye saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. So they, at this time, they heard a voice uh, coming from God. And I don't believe for a minute that God has a particular voice with f- uh, physical characteristics. He, he, he'll use whatever voice he wants at the time. But they heard a voice but they didn't see him. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16 says, uh, speaking of God, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So God dwells in light which no one can come to and no one has seen. That's interesting. At at this late stage in uh, the writing of Scripture, he also says, the Apostle Paul says, that no one at this time has ever seen God. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4.12, No man hath seen God at any time. He also says in his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 18, the same words, No man hath seen God at any time. He says in 1 John 4.20, If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 
So no one has seen God, but you can see the people he's created. You can love someone you've seen, but you have to love a God that you have not seen. The Gospel of John, continuing chapter 6 and verse 45 through 46, Jesus is talking to the people who, were, who he fed, and he says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. So he's talking about himself. He is the one which is of God, and he only, the Son, has seen the Father, but not that any man hath seen the Father. Only the God-man has seen the Father. Earlier in, in John chapter 5, verses 37 through 39, he says, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, Jesus, hath borne witness of me, Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Now, uh, the, we know that the Israelites, uh, as previously mentioned, they heard a voice, but they didn't see God. Uh, in this uh, era of lack of revelation, we had the intertestamental period between uh, Malachi and now the revelation of Jesus Christ, the incarnate one. These people who are living in darkness, they they. They had never seen any manifestation of God, nor have they ever heard the voice of the Father at any time, nor seen his shape. But Jesus says, and I think this is the reason why, he says, And ye have not heard his word abiding in you, ye do not have his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. He's talking about himself. They don't, they don't believe the one who sent him, so they don't have the word of the Father abiding in them. Now he says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So the scriptures that these Jews relied upon for their salvation, they testified of Jesus. And I think that we will see that they testify of Jesus more than meets the eye. So we've seen a bunch of scriptures here from the New Testament writers and even uh, seeing accounts in the Old Testament that says God specifically tells them, you cannot see me and live. And that no one has ever seen God. But then how do we uh, reconcile them with these scriptures that I'm going to show you? We see that uh, the scriptures clearly proclaim that people did see God. They saw Yahweh. We look at the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, here we have the temple vision. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with two, two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried one another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Interesting, you have three holies there, but that, that's another subject there. Well, kind of. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, or Yahweh, of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Exodus uh, chapter 24, in verse 9, at 10 and 11, we see, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, these were the sons of Aaron, and seventy of the elders of Israel. 
Verse 10, And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of a sapphire stone, as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. Verse 11, And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. That's interesting, because how can, how can we have verses that say no one has seen God, and yet these verses say that, uh, that they saw God, they saw the God of Israel. At 1 Kings twenty two nineteen, we have the prophet Micaiah, Micaiah sorry, talking to King Jehoshaphat. He says, and he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord, Yahweh. I, the prophet Micaiah, saw the Lord, saw Yahweh sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. Well, the question is, who did they see? How can they see Yahweh if Yahweh says, No one can see me or no one has seen me? Now, let's see if we could clarify them with some other verses on this subject. Um, in the prologue of the Gospel of John, the prologue is, is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now, ending the prologue, verse 18, the Apostle John says, No man hath seen God at any time, as we saw before. But then continuing on the verses is the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now, there, there's a, a textual variant there where it says the only begotten Son, or the monogenes huios. Some manuscripts actually say the monogenes theos, or the only unique God, calling Jesus Christ God there, but... Um, that that's uh, for later discussion here the son who's in the bosom of the father he has declared him the word is exegeted him so he has made him known he's explained him so no one has seen god but they've obviously seen the incarnate son but did they only see the son in the uh, incarnate form as he walked the streets of jerusalem as he lived between 82 and 83 or 2 B.C. and A.D. 33? Well, let's continue on. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6 and verse 46, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. So, we see, we see here like what would be called progressive revelation. We're told that no one has seen God, but then Jesus Christ is explaining here, he says, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He's talking about himself, the Son. He hath seen the Father. Now, if the Son were just a man, and that no man has seen the Father, then how can the Son, as a mere man, have seen the Father? So this verse in and of itself shows that Jesus Christ is not just a man. He's obviously a man here walking on the earth, but he is the God-man. He's the incarnate one. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, All things are delivered unto me, this is the Son speaking, they are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. But wait a minute, didn't people know Jesus Christ on the earth? Didn't they have a personal relationship with him? Well, I think he's talking about knowing in a more uh, 
intimate sense of knowing really who he is in his fullness. And at this time, I don't think anyone understood that to, uh, of course, not to the level of God, the father, knowing the son. He says, no man knoweth the son, but the father, neither knoweth any man, the father, save the son and he to whom the son will reveal him. So no one knows the Father except the Son. Now, of course, didn't people know God in the Old Testament? Well, of course they knew him in whatever way that God needed for them to know him, but they didn't know him in the way that the Son knows the Father, in a, in a way that, just as Jesus said, that he has seen the Father, he knows uh, the being of the Father, he knows the Father in a way that no one can know by seeing him. In John chapter 10 and verse 15, Jesus, uh, talking about himself as the good shepherd, he says, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the Father knows the Son. Of course, the Father knows everyone that he created. But as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. So how can the Son know the Father in the same way that the Father knows the Son, unless the Son is, you know, divine, that he's God? Because if in the same way that God knows someone, that someone knows God, how can that be unless the Son and the Father? Father are both God, but we'll get into that later on. But, you know, as the Son knows the Father in a certain way, uh, the Father knows the Son. Now, in 1 John 5.20, we read, And we know that the Son of God is come, and, he hath, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is the same writer who said that Jesus, the Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, has exegeted or declared him. This is along the same vein. He says that we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. So we understand God the Father, we understand God by the manifestation of the person of the Son. That is how we understand God. So then how did people in the Old Testament understand God? How did they see God? The question is, who did they see? No one has seen the Father but they have seen the Son. Only the Son knows the Father and has seen the Father, as we saw. The Son is the one who has exegeted the Father and made him known. So I would like to, to argue that when the people saw Yahweh, they saw the Son in a in a way that uh the son not the not the incarnate way, not the way he was on the earth, but the person that they saw when they saw Yahweh, when they saw the God of Israel, was that they saw the Son. Now, when Yahweh says that no one can see me, I think that Yahweh is speaking in terms of the person of the Father, and that was how people understood God before the revelation of the incarnation in the New Testament between the the beginning of the New Covenant, the end of the Old Covenant. You have... Uh, 
I believe what I'd call progressive revelation, that um, people understood God in kind of a Unitarian sense, not that they were wrong, but they understood God as Father of creation, but they didn't understand the concept that the Son was also God and that this would be progressively revealed. So let's take a look and examine look at an example of how you have revelation in the Old Testament of someone seeing God and that this revelation is expounded in the New Testament and I believe that it clearly shows without a doubt who is seen clearly proving that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the being of Yahweh. I believe it proves the Trinity beyond a shadow of a doubt. The question whom did Isaiah see? We look at what we saw previously, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Now, this word here is Adonai. It is not Yahweh, but he's also identified as Yahweh further down. I saw also Adonai seated, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. We'll look in, and see what the Septuagint shows in that uh, when it says his train filled the temple in the Hebrew. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. So Adonai here is Yahweh. So whoever uh, Isaiah is seeing is identified by these seraphim, these angels, as Yahweh. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, the word glory is very important here, as we're going to see later on here. Moving down into verse 8, uh, we have uh, Isaiah said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now, it's interesting that he says, I send, and who will I go for us? Now, of course, it could be debated that the us there is God and the angels, but maybe it could be talking about the three persons of the Trinity, veiled and not progressively revealed yet, but... um, I'll leave that for debate. I'm not going to be dogmatic on that, but that it's pretty interesting that he says, and who will go for us? Then, then said I, here am I, send me. But now God is going to tell Isaiah what his uh, preaching ministry is going to look like. And I wonder how many preachers today, if God were to tell them, this is what your ministry is going to be like. I'm going to call you to preach to people, and this is what is going to happen. How many of them would drop out? <laughs> but he says, God said, go and tell this people, hear, you, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So he's basically telling Isaiah, you're going to go out, and you're going to preach the word as I command you, but people are not going to respond. So have at it, have fun. <laughs> but, you know, so how many preachers today would, would love that kind of ministry, especially in this modern numbers-driven, results-driven, entertainment-seeking preaching ministry and seeker-sensitive churches? Uh, I don't see the compatibility there, but 
I digress. So here in Isaiah chapter 6, we see what is called the temple vision, and Isaiah sees Yahweh, and he sees his glory. And then he tells them, go and and tell these people they're going to see and not understand. They're going to they're gonna hear and not really hear. So then in John chapter 12, we have an account here. Jesus performed miracles. So John chapter 12, starting in verse 37, the writer says, But though he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed a report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now this that reference is, in, is the Messianic uh, chapter of Isaiah, chapter 53, that is uh, where uh, the Messiah is proclaimed and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. But continuing on here, verse 39, Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. That's clearly a reference to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Um, so that so he's referencing what Isaiah said in the temple vision. Um, okay, so continuing on in John chapter 12 and verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Now, the, this word for of him is auto in the Greek. It's clearly referencing back to the his glory there. It is clear that when he says he saw his glory and spake of him, the one who is spoken of is the one whose glory is seen. It's grammatically necessary in, in the Greek there. Verse twenty, verse forty-two. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. It is grammatically linked. The one who of whom is glory is seen. The one that Isaiah spoke of is the one that the chief rulers at the time believed on. So this is talking about Jesus Christ. And then continuing on in in chapter twelve and verse forty uh, forty-three. Uh, or verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. So to believe on Jesus is to believe on the Father. And verse 45, He that hath seen me seeth him that sent me. Now isn't that interesting? So you, you don't really see the Father, but you can see the Father by seeing the one who is sent. And uh, as we look at what Isaiah said, what John said that Isaiah said, uh, let's examine uh, a little bit of Greek here. Now, a little, a little Greek is a dangerous thing, and by no means do I claim to be an expert on the Greek language, but I can look at uh, lexical tools, and I... I I try as much as I can not to take things too far. So, and I stand on the soul, the shoulders of giants here. So, uh, take it up with the the ones I get this from. But the New Testament writers quoted the Septuagint as the Word of God, as their Bible, as their Old Testament to prove their point. They wrote in Greek. They uh, they quoted from the Greek Septuagint. Sometimes the the Septuagint 
you know, isn't quite the same as the, the Hebrew text that, you know, our English Bibles translate uh, the Old Testament from the Hebrew uh, Masoretic text mostly, and then they translate the the New Testament from the Greek manuscripts that we have, and then the group. But the the writers in the the Greek manuscripts they actually reference the Greek translation of the Hebrew, which is called the Septuagint. And we'll see some some very interesting things here. Um, so looking at John twelve forty one that we saw before, we're going to look at the words. When he saw his glory, in the Greek, this is, this is hoti ipen ten doxin autu, literally rendered as much as we can literally render in the English, when he saw the glory of him, the auto is what is in what is called the genitive case. So uh, we compare the, the Greek words here, even in the same uh, grammatical sense, when he, Isaiah, saw, it's uh, Saul is Ipen, it's the third person, he saw, referring to Isaiah, Tain doxing, Tain doxing, the glory auto of him. So looking back at Isaiah 6, 1, if we remember what we read there, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. And it says that his train filled the temple. In verse 3, we see it says the, that the, the angel says that the whole earth is full of his glory. So, um, here we see that Isaiah saw Yahweh. He saw his glory, because the angel said the earth is full of his glory. But that's not um, even the whole picture here, especially if we understand that John was quoting the Septuagint. And what does the Septuagint do with Isaiah 6.1? The case for Isaiah seeing the glory, seeing Yahweh and seeing his glory is even stronger than taking both verses 1 and 3 here. Because as we look at the Septuagint rendering of uh, Isaiah 6, 1, in the Septuagint, we read that in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord Adonai sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and then it says, and the house was full of his glory. Looking at the Greek of the Septuagint, where uh, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, it's Idon ton kurion, so Idon, I saw, comparing that with um, Ipen, uh, in the Greek of John twelve forty one, he's saying, I saw, and then we look at, and the, and in the Septuagint, instead of saying that um, his train filled the temple or the temple was full, full of his train, it says, and the house was full of his glory. In the Greek, it says, kai pleres ha oikos tes doxes autu. Literally, as much as possible in English, it says, and was full the house or the house was full of the glory of him. And remember that um, in the Greek, in John twelve forty one, he says, "When he saw the glory, when he saw his glory, it's actually when he saw the glory of him." So, uh, in the so John is quoting from the Septuagint rendering of Isaiah six one, where he says, "Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, and the house was full of his glory." 
So when he says, when he makes reference to uh, Isaiah six nine through ten about the people hearing or understand, seeing and not understanding or perceiving, their ears do not hear. He's talking about the temple vision. So when did Isaiah see the glory of Yahweh? According to John, he saw the glory of Yahweh. He saw the glory of Jesus when in the temple vision he saw the glory of Yahweh. So as uh, this uh, information actually comes from Dr. James White, and as Dr. James White often explains, he'll say, Isaiah, who did you see? And Isaiah will say, well, I saw Yahweh. But if you were to ask the Apostle John, who did Isaiah see? And the Apostle John would say, well, Isaiah saw Jesus. So that's interesting. So we see that direct link between uh, Jesus Christ and um, Yahweh. So it makes perfect sense. If we're going to reconcile verses that say that no one has seen God at any time, as John 1.18 says, but also that the Son, the, the unique God, the unique Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared or exegeted him. And we see different verses saying that people did see Yahweh. How do we reconcile them without the Trinity? Without the Son as exegeting the Father, without Je- as Jesus Christ himself said, no one has seen the Father, but they've seen me. And he said, he that sees me has seen the Father. Not that Jesus is the Father, not to embrace the heir of the modalists or the oneness Pentecostals. Jesus is not the Father, but the Father and Jesus are both, they both share the one being of Yahweh. So to see Jesus Christ is to see the Father as the Father is made known in the Son. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. <laughs>